0: Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, where you'll never find the hosts posting anything controversial on social media. Just take our word for it. I'm your host Benny, and this week we will be talking about the impending World Test Championship Final. We discuss New Zealand's road to the final, what we can expect from their clash against India, the structure of the inaugural championship, scope for its improvement, and much more. To this effect, me and fellow co-hosts Mayank, Nish, and Hemanish We're joined by special guest Michael Wagner to break it all down. Here is our conversation. India, New Zealand, Lords, ICC tournament final. Both teams have been here before, but for the first time in history, it will be for the crown of official World Test Champions. Now, whether this championship truly determines the best te- uh, test team in the world might be up for debate. There is no doubt that this is a landmark in international test cricket. And to talk about it all, we invited a very special guest from New Zealand, Michael Wagner. Uh, Michael, welcome to The Last Wicked. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I guess the, the interesting thing is how did I end up being a, a, a cricket expert, As um, I because I... I was a terrible cricketer. I was absolutely rubbish when I played the game. Um to the
0: us here are, so we understand. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, um, I I was doing a bit of coaching later on. And one of the guys, I, like the head coach that I was working under, um, He I'd said that I wasn't very good. And he said to a guy that, that had been coaching me, he said, oh, Michael said he was a pretty average cricketer. And uh, Rick said, if he said that, he was lying. He was nowhere near average. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was appalling. Um, but I enjoyed the game, and, um, and I just sort of followed it a bit casually. Uh, but I was a high school maths teacher, and I got, a, uh, I got asked to take on a statistics class. And I hadn't actually taught I hadn't actually taught statistics because I hadn't really studied it. Um, and I thought, right, if I'm going to teach this, I need to, um, I need to teach myself at first. And I started up a little blog doing some cricket stats, because I thought it was a good way to practice the techniques that I was going to be teaching. Um, to just just at a really basic level, just to do some investigations and practice doing it. And um, before long, I had about 20,000 readers and thought maybe maybe there's wow. a, a reason to keep going with this. Um, so I've, I've I've ended up digging into stats. I, I left teaching and went to university and studied a bit more stats and really got into it, really enjoyed learning sort of the data science-y thing. Um, and sort of some of my career choices have moved in that direction since then. But it really came out of just, the fact that I was going to be given a class teaching something I had no idea about, I thought I had to, and cricket was an easy way to get some, some good numbers um, right. initially. Uh, but yeah, that's really my, my background. And so I, I I loved learning to tell the story of cricket games through the numbers as well as through what you see them with your eyes.
0: And cricket is such a game of numbers, right? So I, I know that like at least half of the podcast team here. Uh, it's really into numbers, and you can learn so much uh, from numbers. And it's—I and think we've—we've we've kind of talked about this in previous episodes, and how this can be really helpful for teams who want to kind of get that extra edge. So, yeah. do you do you they, see they, that happening more?
1: Yeah, it can. They, they can be really revealing, but they can also be misleading. Um, right. You know, right. you, you've got to you—you you have to treat them carefully. And one of the problems with cricket is that we're often dealing with really small sample sizes. Hmm. You know, when you're talking about um, when you're talking about uh, batting effectiveness, you know, you, we're really talking about a, a, a very rare event—someone getting out—and and you really, in order to to have a, a reasonable sample size of of someone getting out, you need to to have a point where you've probably had a hundred dismissals or something before the the stats really tell you anything in similar conditions. Well, yeah. You know, there's no there's no one that's played a hundred innings in twenty in five for six different countries. It just doesn't happen. Um, so you're always having to you're always having to remember that 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 the stats only tell us so much. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that the stats do tell us something, but there's also there's still a lot of things they don't tell us. They tell right. us the big picture, but not the details. And that's what makes it
2: fascinating, right? Because you're trying to Sort of describe the game with limited data, and it's a challenging problem. It's not as clear cut as baseball, right?
1: Yeah, uh, and, and it isn't. I mean, and and there's also a whole lot more resources going on, a whole lot more more things happening in uh in cricket than are happening in baseball. And, and that's, I mean, that's not a not a slight right. on baseball. a Wonderful game, but it it is in terms of the analysis, the actually what's going on is a lot simpler, you know? You, yeah, the, there's a lot the more aim, context
2: in cricket, right? Yeah, yeah, and
1: yeah, and. Yeah, you know, someone that's uh, scoring at, a, at, a, at an average of 50 can be, you know, you'd say that's a wonderful thing, but if they got in a T20 match, they're going too slow, they're costing their team. In a uh, test match, if they're getting 50 because they're getting not outs and, and hitting a single off the first ball of the over and having the tail get out, well, that's not actually helping their team as much as someone who had an average of 40 but was scoring them, you know was resulting in the team getting more runs. There's a whole lot of things in there which you have to unpack to be able to understand the numbers, but right. the numbers still right. do tell a story.
2: So we get into New Zealand. So they've done so well in test cricket in the past five years, right? Six years. Uh, where did that start? And why do you think that is? For one, I think it's because of the Pacers who've come along and there's a nice well-rounded pace battery. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that?
1: Uh, look, I think New Zealand's actually always had pretty good quick bowlers. I mean, you, you go back, I mean, obviously from, from Hadley, you had Danny Morrison that came in after him. He was a statistically not a great bowler, but when you watched him, he was an outstanding bowler. Um, yet, and then you had uh, Chris Cairns, Daryl Tuffy. You've got guys that have just been genuinely really good bowlers. Um, Chris. Martin, and the, this group that we've got now is probably better, and they've all come through together, which is helpful. You know, they're all about the same age, which means that we're going to have a, we're going to have a, a drop-off at some point soon. Um, but that's been helpful. But I think the big thing that's different is the batting. Um, traditionally, New Zealand haven't had quality batsmen. You know, you, you you say yeah, we've had Bert Sutcliffe and Glenn Turner and Martin Crow, but there was big gaps between them. And we've never had. You know, we had briefly we had Martin Crow, John Wright, and um, and Andrew Jones together. But John Wright still averaged thirty-seven or something in his cricket. Yeah, he he wasn't a statistically he wasn't a great batsman. Uh, whereas now we've got. Uh, you know Kane Williamson, who's averaging in the fifties, Ross Taylor, who's mid to high forties, which is pretty much unheard of in New Zealand historically. Um, and then you've got also Tom Latham, you've got Henry Nichols. Um, I think at the moment the uh, uh, Colin de Grandhomme would be the second highest averaging batsman in England, and he's the eighth highest averaging batsman in New Zealand. Um, wow. Now that you would never have been able to say that. So I think the batting's been a bigger thing. But if you ask where, the, where success started, I think there's been three key points. The first was when New Zealand cricket moved to having two rounds of the blanket shield. And so the players started playing more first-class cricket. Um, the the second one was when uh, they standardized the groundsmen and made the groundsman really uh, accountable. And so they changed how the wickets were prepared throughout the whole country, made same soil. There's only three types of soil allowed to be used. They, they truck it around the country to make sure that they've got a New Zealand condition, and so that's that's one thing. Another thing, and the other one was there was the tour of South Africa where we got absolutely destroyed in 2012. And Brendan McCullum that, that started the conversation with him and Mike Hesson about how they do things differently. And in the next tour, uh, the one to UAE with uh, Pakistan, um, there was the Phil Hughes thing happened about that time. And after the game, the things I'd been talking about Hesson and McCullum. And so now's the chance. Is this this break? And they had a conversation about let's play like it's backyard. Let's have fun. Let's not take it too seriously. Let's just everyone express yourselves, play your natural game. And so you saw the result of that was a, just a completely different attitude to how they played. And the whole instead of trying to play like Australians, they started trying to play like New Zealanders. And from that point on, we've we've developed our own way of playing, and and it and it works for us. I mean, Australia are great because. They've grown up playing Australian cricket and that's how they play. Um, but New Zealanders don't grow up in those conditions and we, we shouldn't be playing, trying to be Australians, we should try being us. And it's worked really well.
2: And it's a treat to see and it's a pity as well because it's a kind of a golden phase for New Zealand cricket. But they play only four games a summer. So it's kind of bittersweet, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to have more tests. Um, and I think one of the advantages of the new broadcasting deal that New Zealand cricket have got means that there's more money coming in. And so we will. uh, They are looking at trying to move it to six tests a summer, um, and that would be wonderful.
3: So, Michael, um, one of the things that I've always heard is, you know, when you win the toss, nine out of ten times you bat first, and the tenth time you think about it and you still bat first. But New Zealand is one place which sort of goes against this, you know, convention where um, batting averages are just low in the first innings, and and you know, putting New Zealand in to bat is a is a bad idea. Um, what are your thoughts about that? How did that come about? Um, is it specific to pitches or conditions there?
1: Yeah, see, interestingly, in New Zealand, they, it rains a lot. We're, we're an island. It's 2,000 kilometers to the nearest landmass. And so there's clouds coming all the way. The, the Maori name for New Zealand is Aotearoa, which means land of the long white cloud. It, it, it's always <laughs> cloudy. It's always, I mean, it's Jimmy Anderson would, would just love New Zealand if he was to stay here. Um, was he Macron reckon that uh, if he... If he, I, he said at one point, if you would do one thing differently at the start of your career, what would you have done? He said, "I would have moved to New Zealand and become a New Zealander, so I could play on those pitches and with those conditions where it always swings my whole career."
0: Good call. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> but, um, but the um, yeah, it, it's always cloudy. It's always swinging a bit. Um, the and because of that, there's in most of New Zealand, there's a lot of moisture in the soil in the pitch. It doesn't dry out. Um, the the sun is the, the sun's hot, but the air is is cool you know it 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 doesn't get very hot on the, the thermometer and so because of that pitches don't dry out and so you have to load the pitches up to the start of the game for when you get the wickets rather than having the wickets falling at the end of the game if you if we try and produce a pitch that's going to turn at the end it sometimes works but normally you just end up with a draw if you don't if you don't put enough grass on to get wickets early on Nine times out of ten, the game ends in a draw. I think I, I did re, i did do a uh, stat at one point that in matches where there were less than fourteen wickets fall before uh, the first drinks break on the second day, uh, most of the time it, it was about fifty percent chance of a draw in New Zealand. So if there had been less than fourteen wickets in the first seven hours, um, the, the, the game almost you know, normally ended up in a draw. That's changed a little bit recently when New Zealand got so dominant when we get put in. We you get up big scores mm-hmm. and then bowl teams out twice, um, but that had been the history that if you didn't have wickets falling early, you didn't get a result.
3: Right, and that kind of goes back to your point about the batting being a lot more solid, that, you know, they're able to, even if put in, they're, they're able to, um, you know, grind it out in, in the toughest, you know, phase of the game and then put up that score so that they can put the pressure back on.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think um, there's been a lot of work, a lot of technical work uh, going on, but but bigger than that was Craig McMillan was hugely influential in changing the way that we approach batting. Um, as a batting coach, and I think uh, Bangladesh hired him and then didn't pay him, I believe, and so he didn't didn't turn up. Um, but uh, but he's changed the focus of of the batting from from focusing on technique to focusing on decision making that rather than trying to play the shots really well, just play the right shots. Um, and, you know, if you make good decisions about which ones you play and which ones you don't, you play the right shots, even if the ball's swinging around and seaming around early on, you know, it doesn't matter because you're not trying to play away from your body through the covers, through and it, it's fine. Um, and so the, the focus on decision-making has helped a lot. We've seen some of the players have really uh, been transformed in their the way they play because of that focus on on playing the right shots rather than playing the shots really well.
2: Very interesting. New Zealand sort of bucked this trend. So when they're put into bat first, they don't have low averages. That means they can bat very well. Whereas yeah. if you put the visiting team into bat, they falter. So that's yeah. that's been a key point of difference, I think, which people yeah, sort well, of lose in the numbers.
1: Yeah. Well also part of that is to be able to be successful in New Zealand, you have to actually play you know, the first round of the Plunket shield is mostly played in and amongst the rain and uh, the, the sort of late spring. And spring is rainy in New Zealand. It, it's not, you know, that you watch the Aussies playing in October, playing cricket in October, and, and sometimes even in September. And There's just no way you can play cricket in September and October in New Zealand. You, you start a little bit in late October, but it just rains too much. Um, we had a, a school season one year where there was a games played on a Wednesday evening. And in the end, at uh, the end of the, 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 the term, uh, where there'd been nine weeks of play, the final was played between the two teams that had won one game by the biggest margin because there was only one round that was able to be completed. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so the, the two teams, the uh, Mount Albert and St. Cuthbert, played the girls' final because they'd were they they'd won their, two, their game by the, l- the largest margin. You know, it, so it rains we, a lot at that time of the year.
0: Have we been unfairly blaming England all this time while we should have focused our attention on New Zealand's weather?
1: Oh, look... It, New Zealand's weather is absolutely rubbish in springtime, um, you know. And and I was uh, living in Dunedin for a while, and I didn't realise Dunedin in, in summer is even worse. Uh, Dunedin's the driest country in the winter, uh, but it rains the whole summer, you know, which is just. I mean, it, it, there's a reason why all the Black Caps that come from Otago all move to northern districts, It's because you've got nice beaches and nice weather, whereas Otago's just got nice beaches. <laughs> um, but um, but it's um, you know. It rains a lot at the start of the season, and if you're going to be playing in amongst that, you're going to be going on and off a lot, and you're going to have to deal with the ball seeming around. So, if you don't learn how to do that, you're not going to be like the New Zealand team. And right. so, the players don't make that team unless they know how to play in those conditions. It's similar to an Indian batsman who can't play spin won't make the Indian team because you're having to deal with it in the in rent the, and even if you don't have to do it every match, you're going to have to do it in enough matches that, um, that the that you just can't make the team
4: if you're not good at that. Right. So, Michael, thanks for joining us today. Um, So switching gears and talking about the next big global cricketing event with no disrespect to the ongoing cricketing um, tournaments, Uh, let's talk about the WTC, right? The World Test Championship in uh, New Zealand, right? Um, It's a two-part question. The first part is, like, you know, has there been a lot of, like, you know, fanfare or chatter or, like, you know, hype around the tournament? because from an Indian perspective, this might be biased because it's been a quite muted lead up, I would say, because of the cancellation of IPL and the surrounding um, grim COVID scenario in India and the bubbles and so on and so forth. Uh, and the second part of the question is just generally, like, what do you think of the final, right? Like, do, are we going to have a, you know, a lot of interest and is it going to be a tournament that's going to stick to the calendar going forward? I just want to hear your thoughts. or you want to hear your thoughts.
1: Oh, look, I, I love the I love the concept and I think most people like the concept of a world Test championship that's um, it's a really difficult thing to actually execute and I think the ICC has actually done really well here um, I think we will see this becoming a big thing going forward I think it's it's added something and it's also meant there's been more focus on the tests that don't involve the home nation like I think um, I think there's been uh, it's been good for New Zealand cricket because the amount of money that we've that our we've got broadcasting rights from overseas has increased you know there, there's been more interest from overseas in neutral matches and I think that's a positive thing for, for broadening out the game that you know there's more income coming in for the teams that, are, that have the smaller home markets is, is a really good thing um, the in terms of has there been a buzz in New Zealand um, I guess one of the things in New Zealand is that Cricket has traditionally been a sport mostly played by white and Asian or yeah, South Asian people. You don't have many uh, Chinese New Zealanders playing cricket. I, I think from my coaching, I can think of two maybe that, that I saw coming through out of about, I don't know, a um, couple of thousand kids that I, that I saw and you know one Thai boy. And that was about it in terms of East Asian cricketers. Um, and then Māori and Polynesian, which make up a pretty big chunk of the population, um, there have been quite a few Māori fast bowlers come through, like uh, Trent Bolt, Shane Bond, Kyle Mills, we're all part Māori, but not many, Daryl Tuffy, but not many, and, and in, fact, in fact, some ways, the, the fact we've managed to unlock our Māori population a little bit has been part of the success, but traditionally there's not a huge uptake of cricket amongst Māori and Pacifica. Um, so one of the things that to tell about the buzz is, has there been any mention amongst those groups, you know, the, the people that are interested in cricket are interested in cricket, um, but I'm working for a construction company at the moment, and some of the the Maori builders are telling me about the, the game, and that they're looking forward to it, they're trying to figure out how they're going to watch it, uh, the Samoan guy at the building yard is talking about it the other day, um, so that tells me that there's a more of a groundswell in this than I was expecting. Um, and that that's exciting, but it's a terrible, terrible time zone for us to watch in New Zealand. So <laughs> uh, the games start at 10 o'clock at night and finish at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the morning. There's there, there's not really a worse uh, possible place to, to be watching cricket from. So it's, it, it's not helpful in that regard. This is it's how the off. Indians
2: feel when you play in New Zealand. Right? Because <laughs> it begins in the night and it goes on through the night and we have to watch that.
1: We love watching that. So yeah. Yeah, but I think you've got ones, you can sort of with some of those ones you can pick one session like in the games in the west indies they for us they start at three in the morning so you basically just write off the first session and maybe the, the the first half of the second session you get up at five in right. the morning and you watch you watch three hours of cricket. that's fine um yes but when you're sort of you're if you sit up till midnight you're wrecked. you can't get up to watch the end of the game if you're getting up at 3 a.m to watch it's you're sort of it's just a horrible time to be watching cricket, but that's that's, I guess, the beauty and downside of it being a global game is that there's always going to be somewhere that you know we, we very rarely watch any cricket out of South Africa and New Zealand for the same reason, just a terrible time zone for us.
0: I mean, it really tests your love for the game and test cricket. And I think growing up, I think that's, I guess, for me, uh, like my parents would ask me or my friends would ask me, like, why are you watching a game that takes place over five days and at the end of the game there might not even be a result and i never really had a good answer then but now looking back it takes a special kind of love for the game to especially for the format of test cricket that if you're going to be watching it across different time zones um, especially when your team is not doing well that's that really brings out the true fan in you and i think that's um you know that really helped uh but i'm also curious because you know did the Not to bring up bad memories, but the 2019 World Cup final, you know, New Zealand, I'm sorry, Uh, New Zealand very close to a World Cup win. Do you think that if they had won that, that would have changed the profile of cricket in New Zealand?
1: I don't think it would have changed the profile. Um, But I think, you know, cricket is actually doing quite well at the moment. The the fact that we made the final and then didn't win, in some ways created more talking points than if we had a runner. Everyone would have been, oh, well, well done. That's great. Whereas the fact it was, like, it felt unfair, and there were conversations on the radio. People were talking about, oh, that wasn't right. It's not how it should have happened. And, yeah. um, and and um, you know, there is there are uh, various things said about Mitchell Santler for leaving the last ball of the of the <laughs> innings, and about Treadbolt for dropping the catch, and why was Martin Guptill even there? And you know, like, yeah. there was there was the whole range, the whole gamut of of responses, which is exactly what you want in some ways for building. And uh, Right, you know, can I board. tell you,
0: can I tell you, that tells me that for a brief moment in time, New Zealand cricket fans essentially became like Indian cricket fans who would dissect every single thing. So you kind of know now how that feels.
1: Oh, look, it's, that's, it's not new. And, and there's always, and I think in every country, there's a cause, a cause celebre about the player that needs, you know, and, oh, and that, that we it takes turns as to who that happens to be the player that everyone wants dropped. Um, And it's not always rational, um, but there's certainly, I mean, Henry Nichols is the one that's been in the firing line in New Zealand recently. And you think he's sort of 50 and almost every time he's come to bat in the last two years, why on earth do we want to drop him? Um, But there's, we've got, we've got Glenn Phillips and Will Young and Russian Ravindra and Devin Conway all waiting in the wings. Um, And so people are going, well, we don't drop Taylor. We drop, don't drop Williamson. So Henry Nichols has got to be the guy to go. Um, and um, and so there's, there's always a cause to live That and any little thing that they do will get picked up on. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's true of cricket fans rather than Indian cricket fans. I think it's uh, I think everyone every country has their their players that they want to get rid of or they want to analyze stupid little details that they did.
0: And that's not always a bad thing, I guess. As long as people are as long as fans are engaged with. The game, I think that's a that's a good thing. What you don't want is disinterest and apathy. That's that's where the game actually starts dying out.
1: And it was dark days after that South Africa uh, tour, particularly where we got bowled out. It was one of the matches, I think, we got bowled out twice for under eighty or something. <laughs> and you know, they were just all over us. Um, and and it was around the time that there'd been. Uh, a sense that Ross Taylor had been unfairly treated with because he got dropped as the white ball captain after losing, after winning like three 40 matches or something, how he managed to last that long was more a surprise than the fact he got dropped. But, um, but you know, there was a sense that there was this guy came in from Otago who was growing up with Brendan McCullum and had always been out to, to get Taylor and bring bring McCullum in. And There was a sort of this idea that this was just some horrible conspiracy against Ross Taylor, which, you know. We see now looking back was not the case at all but at the time people convinced of it and ross taylor's right. manager managed a very good job of convincing the public of it um and and so there was this general disinterest in new zealand cricket that um you know they're useless they, they can't win and people on the radio were, were calling them all sorts of things that you know that their athleticism was being called into question their, their devotion to the their dedication to it people were saying well if you know if he's a top athlete how come brendan mccullum's a smoker if he's a top athlete you know they're not you know, like there was all of this, um, and, and vitriol, and, and some of it was nasty, um, right. but but what was happening is more and more people were just turning off the cricket, and it was becoming less and less relevant, um, and that's been turned around. The World Cup in New Zealand, Australia helped with that, and then the last one helped as well, but winning games at home helps too.
0: You're right. Well, you're right. New Zealand has uh, has come a long way since then. I mean, right now, they're in the World Test Championship final. Uh You know, so both India and New Zealand have had interesting journeys to this point, and we'll come to India in a bit, Uh, but let's start with New Zealand. So they started the cycle of the World Test Championship with a series win against Sri Lanka, then they lost to Australia in Australia, after which they played at home and beat India, West Indies, and Pakistan. Now, as a New Zealand fan, is there any game from this cycle that stands out for you in terms of... It just being memorable or you know just as classic New
1: Zealand game yeah well classic New Zealand game was probably us getting belted in Perth but um <laughs> but the um the um the the one that that stood out to me in terms of the the match that I probably remember from that there were two the beating India in in Christchurch the way that that was just such a clinical performance was something that I probably won't forget for a while but uh, the one that was a really good match and one that I really enjoyed was the game against the first match against Pakistan. Uh, where they it was a it was a on the scorecard it looked like a reasonably comprehensive victory, um, mm-hmm. but it was a game where Pakistan kept in the game the whole way through, and at the end it, I think we won it. It took last week at five thirty on the fifth day. It's something it was like a, an hour and a half to go, or maybe even less than maybe half an hour to go before it was going to be a draw. And Mitchell Santner, the, the least liked cricketer in New Zealand, by a considerable margin at the moment, uh, was the guy that picked up the wicket, the guy that everyone said shouldn't be in the side, um, you know, the, the last couple of wickets to, to finish off the match. Um, and you know, the, the way that we had this, this new guy, Jamison, came in and picked up a bunch of wickets and, and shook up the, the, the Pakistan team, Williamson hit a beautiful hundred in trying conditions, then we uh, we went out and blitzed some runs to set up a, a declaration because the game had been sort of uh, was running out of time. It was just just a wonderful game uh, where um, both teams were in it. There was still both were sort of two results available going into the last couple of hours. Um, yeah, and, and and the team found a way to win, um, and it was a it was a proper team performance. So two wickets for each bowler uh, in the final innings. You know, that was. That was in some ways more typical of New Zealand than anything else the fact that they they all just did their part.
3: And, and it's funny you say that because I was looking back at all the games that they played and um, I was looking at the scorecards and I was like nothing really stands out except for that game because I still clearly remember Naseem Shah from Pakistan playing that shot and then Satner taking the catch off his own bowling and that celebration so yeah I mean I couldn't agree more. I feel like that was probably one of the closest games in, in that, um, you know, in the whole lineup. Um, I can't remember them beating India. I'm sorry. that just, that just <laughs> not off my mind.
1: We usually forget the, those. The Sri, Lanka game, the Sri Lanka games were actually really good matches too. Um, both matches could have gone either way. The one that New Zealand lost um, was just an outstanding partnership that took the game away. But it was um, that that game was could have gone either way. Those were really good games, but it was again, it's much harder to rem- to watch a full match when it's in a different time zone. Um, although I find Sri Lanka is just close enough that it's quite good for you know you, you can sort of go oh, I'll just stay up an hour or so later and watch the end of it. You know um, the uh, but that was a really good match too. Those are really good matches, and it was a pity we didn't play Bangladesh um, in Bangladesh. That's actually a um, they, they offer a very different challenge and one that would have been a, a, a good one to see how our team went with it.
0: Now, I want to kind of throw this open to the, the rest of the team here, my fellow co hosts, as far as India's road to the final here. And I think I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway what was your memorable or what is India's most memorable game in this cycle? Uh, so I'll start with Nish. Was there any game that stood out for you?
4: I am drawing a black Benny. Um, Are you
0: sure? If I tell you the series, you might remember.
4: It definitely has to be the India-Australia series. Um, pretty right. much, I think, all the games that India won there <laughs> or managed to avoid defeat. Um, yeah, its it has to be from that series. It has to be that last game that we won.
3: I mean, it's hard to beat that game, honestly, like in this cycle. And, and we've won some good games abroad. So um, I personally thought that the uh, series in England in 2018... Wait, was that part of WTC? I forget now. It's been no, on it for a while. It wasn't, right? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I personally thought like before the Australia-India series um, at the end of, you know, last year, that was the one series where I just couldn't get, you know, you know turn off the TV because I feel like even though we'd lost 1-4... Every game was going to the last day and, and the last session and it was, you know, always closed. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that Australia India-Australia beat that, I, it was shocking. in my uh, And just the fact that we beat it with, you know, all the circumstances that it happened, I think it was definitely me- uh, really memorable. And I feel like I remember thinking at that point that, you know, we're definitely going to lose to Australia in Australia with the second grade team. So the best we can do is beat England 4-0 and, you know, have a slight chance of qualifying for the final.
2: Yeah, so Gabba is the obvious answer. But uh, I was there in Jamaica for the second test versus the West Indies. And Boomerah took a hat-trick in that match. And I think Ishan Sharma made a 50. So that's memorable for me, apart from the Gabba winner. I forgot about Um, Ishan's 50. Wow. Yeah, I remember because I was there. Otherwise, I wouldn't remember. I was watching it, so... (laughs)
4: Benny, Benny, before, before we move on to the next one, I just want to say I did not forget the Gabba. It was just, I was my mind was calibrating whether that was part of the WTC or not, but obviously it was part of the WTC. So yes, I am the much acclaimed cricket fan of uh, Indian cricket fan, and it's not a fake news that we're spreading here.
3: <laughs> I, I mean, I just feel like we've come a long way since thinking, oh man, there's no chance of us winning in Australia. The best chance is beating England 4-0. And it was funny that we did what we did in Australia and then came back home and lost to England first game. So, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting few Uh, months. But uh, definitely, I mean, I'm really excited to see the final. And I think this as a concept, as I think Michael rightly summarized, you know, I think it's going to get better and better. And definitely some of the COVID challenges also made it worse.
0: Yeah, so if any, you know if anybody's listening to this, it's you would think that we only watched uh, India's tour of Australia because that was really the most memorable, given the context and given the dramatic you know climax to that whole series. So yeah, for me too, uh, Gabba would be the pick, especially after Tim Payne graciously invited the Indian team to to come over there, and you know the end result was very satisfying as a fan. Uh, but but Michael, let's, let's talk about the final. Uh, you know, comparing both teams, for once, India can boast of a very good bowling attack, a fast bowling attack themselves. Uh, so in terms of comparison, I think it's fair to say that both sides have a good set of bowlers. And the only thing that might actually distinguish the two teams from each other might be uh, New Zealand's batting uh, against swing. Yeah. Um, in those conditions so w- would you say that's a fair assessment or do you think it's going to be different
1: i don't know look i i i have no idea how that world test championship final is going to go and that's the beautiful thing i mean i can see a dozen different scenarios in my head as to who's going to be dominant one of the things new zealand this is new zealand's first game that we're recording this in the middle of the the first test between new zealand and england and this is the first game played with the dukes ball uh since I think 2015 or 2016,
2: 2015. Uh, we don't yeah, tour England,
1: we don't tour uh, Indies very often. So, you know, because of that, um, I think India have played 11 matches with the Duke's ball in the time New Zealand last played one. Um, so, our bowlers aren't used to playing with it. And that's, a, that's a, a big disadvantage, and our batsmen aren't used to facing it. So, these two matches were vital for New Zealand. I think without them, uh, we would have really not had a shot. Um, but uh, you know it's it's really interesting to see I, I wonder whether actually the New Zealand's lower order bat so the the batting at numbers six seven eight nine ten where New Zealand have got I mean at the moment in the current lineup every player in the top nine I think has got a century and every player in the eleven has got a 50 um, and uh, New Zealand's batting averaging uh, I did look it up at one point. I can't remember off the top of my head, but from numbers six, seven, eight, and nine combined, average over 40 for New Zealand in the last few. Um, and so, whereas no other team from memory, no other team was over 32. Um, so that, that sort of that's a huge difference in terms of New Zealand bowlers to bat. Um, Jamison, Southie, um, you know, even Wagner can hold a bat. Uh, Santner, Degronholm, Mitchell. These guys are all able to hit centuries, fifties, and um, and, you know, and and maybe the batting evens out, the bowling evens out, but the the batting of the bowlers could be the difference.
2: And that's a fascinating point because you know, as conditions become more difficult, it gets harder to start. So that's what you see in the past six years of Test cricket, right? So it's it's getting harder to start an in innings for top order batsmen. So that lower order might make the difference, like you said. That's a fascinating point, and I don't think people focus on that. And they talk about comparing the teams.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, one of the things that we have seen for New Zealand, one of the key people in New Zealand's rise has been Colin de Grandhomme, um, Colin de Grandhomme, and BJ Watling. That that sort of combination of those two, BJ Watling, the dour defensive, backs to the wall, I'll dig us out of a hole player, and then the Colin de Grandhomme is really very much a bully, of bad bowl, of tied bowlers. Um, I did do some stats on this in the first seventy overs of a match. The Gronholm averages 25 at a strike rate of about 60. After over 70, the times after there, he averages 46 at a strike rate of 108. So if you can wait, if you can hold off until the bowlers are tired and then get the Gronholm, it's not it's not guaranteed to succeed, but more often than not, he's actually I mean, you know, average 46, at a strike rate of 100. That's that's a player who destroys teams and doing having that coming in at number seven and number eight um, potentially just, yeah you know, he can, he can turn and get the match around, and he's done it a few times, uh, the, the West Indies, you know, the, the, one of the matches was looking fairly even, when all of a sudden De Gronham came in and hit 100 off about 110, um, and all of a sudden New Zealand, instead of looking at 350, was suddenly over 500, and, and there was no chance for West Indies really to come back from, from such a big score on a difficult pitch, as their bowlers got tired, and then he just destroyed them, and... Um, and it was disheartening. You could see the the heads dropping every every time a ball had disappeared. It was it was taking a little bit of their heart with it. Um, and and so that sort of lower order hitting that New Zealand have could be potentially the difference.
3: So one of the other um, aspects of this comparison is uh, New Zealand obviously have the two left armors. Um, I'm just thinking Wagner's success as a you know, short ball bowler has been well documented. Uh, do you think that, that gives them a, an, a little bit of an edge considering, um, you know, how we've, we've seen India struggle against left armors a little
1: bit? Yeah, look, I think, uh, I th- I think every batsman in the world actually finds facing left armors difficult. Um, the ball's coming from a different place. All of the time that you're growing up developing your muscle memory, you're mostly facing right, arms, right? right. You're, you're You're looking for where the ball's coming from, from that place, and suddenly it's coming from somewhere slightly different. Everything has to change. And you can think about it differently, but to actually get to the point where you're comfortable facing it is quite a different. Um, and then when you've got someone who's reasonably short, like like Wagner, but bowling these bounces from an awkward angle. And I, I I was chatting to a couple of the, the West Indian cricketers from the eighties. They said that the guy that they they found the hardest to face was Wasim Akram, the bouncer. You know, they they faced in the domestic cricket. They faced all the Holding and Garner and um, Ambrose and, and Walsh, and they faced those guys, but the guy that gave them the most grief was Wasim Akram, because he was shorter, and he was bowling left arm, and it felt like they didn't know when it was coming, uh, whereas they could sort of pick up when it was coming. You get that, the instinct the, the instinctive most top players can tell you what the ball's going to do before the bowlers let go of it um, from, from reading their body language, whereas they, from a right arm, they can't do that as easily with a left arm, uh, because it just looks different, and sometimes they're running in from behind the umpire and all sorts of things like that. So um, left arm makes a difference. The, the interesting thing is going to be how Wagner goes with the Duke's ball, which tends to stay a bit harder than the Cucumber. And it's the fact that the ball gets it soft with the Cucumber that makes his bowling so effective because some of them stand up and some of them sit down. There was a, one of the games in, in UAE. He bowled about a dozen balls that would all land within a handkerchief size on the pitch, short balls. And there was about a meter's difference as to where they landed, where they ended up, when they got to the batsman from exactly on exactly the same spot. Some of them were hitting the seam, some of them were cutting in, some of them were going away, some of them were keeping low, some of them were going up. And so the batsman couldn't react until after the pitch. That makes it pretty much impossible to deal with. Now, if the right. ball's not so soft with the jukes, maybe that's not going to work as well. And we'll see. I guess in, the, in uh, New Zealand haven't had a chance to bowl with an old jukes ball yet. Yeah. You know. We'll see if they do and how it goes for
3: them. Right. And Hemaneesh, do you see um, Pujara playing sort of the role that he played in Australia where, you know, he was um, almost a designated blocker for, for the first few overs I mean, this, and making sure the bowlers are this tired? This is
2: an ongoing debate, right? Because Pujara's style of play is something that blocks. And when you have a battery of good bowlers, you're liable to get out because you always have that good ball around the corner. So if he can survive the first 15, 20 overs, then he can block. But I think it's difficult in Indian for him uh, to do that with the kind of bowlers New Zealand have as well. It'll be interesting to watch how he faces up to Bolt and Wagner. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I mean, we've 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 had a little bit of an example. We got to see him playing in a couple of tests in New Zealand against New Zealand, and he averaged 25. Um, but then no one really averaged, (laughs) you know. What was that? I think that Agarwal was the was the top averaging. Yeah, so Agarwal had hundred two so runs. Yeah, Pujara yeah. had hundred. Yeah, but Pujara had faced start... three
2: hundred balls, right? So he stuck yeah. it out, but he didn't get the
1: runs. And, and and that's normally that's a really good thing if the new ball is the only is the only danger. If the new ball is the danger, you want to get through the new ball and then get to the old ball where you can survive. But when Wagner's New Zealand's main weapon is Wagner, who's bowling with the old ball seeing off the new ball actually isn't that helpful. You've got to score off the new ball and the old ball. You can't just wait until the boulders get tired, especially when, I mean, these New Zealand guys are ridiculously fit. Um, Henry Nichols broke the All Blacks record for the All Blacks training, um, the All Blacks fitness wow. test. Um, and and they had a, a few of them got upset with that, and they broke took the record back. Uh, Bowden Barrett's holding it again now. but um, But the fact that these guys are, are fit enough that they can compete with guys who are, you know, anaerobic sport on you know where cricket isn't that um, they've got the fitness to do that so they'll just keep running in and bowling you know tiring them out it will work eventually uh, if it's really hot like it was in perth or um, you know if, if there's a couple go down injured but if you're trying to do that in, in england where it doesn't get so hot you know i don't know that tiring them out is going to be the best strategy so you maybe what pujara did in australia is not going to be quite so effective i think that's one of the that,
2: reasons that's... also why um batting has become difficult overall. I know I sent you a plot yesterday of how batting averages have dropped down across overs. And I think that template of tiring out the bowlers and then cashing in is not working anymore because A, conditions are more difficult and bowlers are fitter.
1: Yeah. Do you agree? And, and also, I think you're actually seeing uh, fewer players trying to tire out the the, the bowlers.
2: Hmm. I,
1: I think um, Fair. You know, there are a few that do it successfully and um, but a lot of players are trying to maybe follow the Savag model of just score the runs while you're there. Um, and that may not be the best approach at all situations. Um, unless you've really got the hand-like ordination of Savag, you know, it, it's, it's not going to work so well.
2: Yeah, yeah. So my impression of the Indian bowlers in New Zealand last year was that they were a bit shorter than needed and they couldn't find that right length. What did you think about them? And what do you think in general about the base battery that India have? Because if they don't find this full length, I don't think they'll be effective. It's like similar conditions.
1: So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. My take on India's bowlers is they were often bowling a little too fast. Um, in New Zealand, you need to, unless you're going to, uh, I mean, you've got to bowl into the pitch a little bit. If you're going to bowl, if you're going to pitch it up, you have to get your speed right. So that the ball swings, you don't want it to swing right. out of the hand. You don't want it to swing too soon. And you don't want it to swing too late. And a lot of what India were doing, you're watching the ball swinging after it went past the edge, it was then swinging and um, causing all sorts of grief for them. Um, but there's no point in getting the swing after it goes past the batsman. And what my experience is, and I again, I'm, I'm, I was never a great cricketer, but that, um, that when the ball's swinging as it goes after it passes the bat, it means the bowlers are bowling too fast. They need to slow it back a bit. And if it's swinging out of the hand, like when they let go of it, um, then it's they're bowling a little bit too Uh, a little bit too slowly. You've got to speed up a little bit so that it swings a little bit further down or or change your grip slightly. And so there's a whole lot of technical things. For the technique that the Indian bowlers have, they were bowling a little bit too fast for the conditions, was my impression. If they had held their pace back by about five kilometers an hour, um, which not very much, they would have started to see um, the the ball swinging just before it got to the batsman rather than just after it got got past them. So um, that was my impression was one of the biggest issues and I think it'll be interesting in England where actually bowling that slightly faster possibly is going to mean that it will, because of the, the Duke's ball does swing out of the hand, bowling slightly faster means that it will swing just before it gets to the batsman. It may well be the, the way that they're approached in England, that they approach they had in New Zealand may well work better in England.
2: It's fascinating. I've never heard this before, although I know that swing depends on the speed, right? But no one talks about this aspect of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about swing and a lot of people do that, but we haven't talked about spin. I have some numbers here. So in New Zealand, um, in the third and fourth innings since 2015, 20% of overs are bowled by spinners and 15% of wickets are taken by them. But in England, uh, 31% of the overs are bowled by spinners and 28% of the wickets are taken by them in the last two innings. So do you think the lack of a frontline or a good spinner might come back to bite New Zealand in this match? Because no one talks about this, right? And it's needed in England.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's two things there. First of all, New Zealand do have a good spinner in Ajaz Patel. They're not playing him for some reason in this. Right. Going on. right. Um, and I think, I, I don't know if that's because maybe they think is going to be more effective with the Dukes ball. Uh, there may be something going on from what they've seen in training with people that. Um, but, um, but yeah, Ajaz Patel is actually a, a, a top-class spinner. Um, and he may well, they may well be just keeping their powder dry, meaning in the don't have the chance to analyse him as much. Um, but right. he is a first-rate spin bowler, and so they do have someone who can come in, and I think he averages twenty-one outside New Zealand, something like that. He's a he's a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful left-arm spin bowler. Um, so so there's for a start we do have one. But secondly, part of the reason why New Zealand haven't bowled as many overs of spin in the second innings as you would have expected is because Neil Wagner's been doing that job. You know, you know, he's tying up one end, bowling with the old ball and, and picking up wickets. And so, if you've, if the, you know, if someone's doing picking up the wickets, it doesn't really matter. You don't, you don't go looking for another option if one of them's working. Right. You only need to go to right. the other plan if your plan isn't working. So, I'm not sure that that's, that's as much of an issue as it would appear on the outset. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it would probably be. It, it's interesting because Southampton is a place that has been that has tended to spin a bit, um, and probably is is more suited to India. Um, but we'll we'll see because um, you know, I think New Zealand do have, and, and AJS Patel, New Zealand have a, a a very good spin bowler, and whether or not um, whether or not they play him is another question. But they're. There is that option.
2: And there's also the I, point that India struggled against left-arm spinners in the recent times. Jack Leach gave them a lot of grief in the recent. So if Patel is a better spinner than Santner, which he is, I think they should play him, right? Um,
3: yeah, I, I think it. I think it's an interesting point because yeah, you would you know whoever whichever New Zealand spinner plays, you can comfortably say that Ashwin is probably the, you know, the best spinner in in the game. But I guess if, if his role is limited because of, you know, the amount of work that the Kiwi lower-order batting can do and then obviously then, um, you know, the amount of work that Neil Wagner can put in with the old ball, then maybe uh, it may not count. But, yeah, I think it's an interesting aspect. I really don't think a lot of people have talked about spin leading into the World Test Championship, though.
1: There's been a lot of talk about it in New Zealand. There's been a lot of talk <laughs> about who the spin is going to be and why it shouldn't be Mitchell Santner. Um, from New Zealand fans um, and I mean I, I'm a fan of Santner in New Zealand conditions because he's effectively a, a, a left arm swing bowler and a very effective left arm swing bowler um, but uh, and, and what he does is really effective in holding an end and creating giving the, the, the fast bowlers a rest uh, with keeping pressure on even if he doesn't pick up wickets um, but you know I think I would, pre- I would personally from not being in the camp, not seeing them in training, I'd be hoping we pick A.J. Patel because I just think he's, he's a better option.
2: Usually is in part of India games that Ashwin, have, uh, Ashwin will have a rough outside the right-handers off stump because New Zealand have two left-armers, uh, which usually doesn't happen when India bore. Uh, and yeah. usually you don't see many left-armers. So that's going to be a factor if he plays, uh, which people haven't talked about.
1: A- absolutely right. And in fact, very few top off spinners in history have played without having a left-armor a uh, left-arm pace bowler in their team. Um, right. You know, when, uh, when you look through the, the history of, of great left-arm, or great off-spinners, rather, they almost always lined up with also a, a, a great um, left-arm pace bowler. Um, For Muraliterin had Vass and Zoysa. Um, the Nathan Lyons had uh, Stark and Mitchell Johnson. Um, you actually go back through history, and almost every great off spinner, not everyone, but almost everyone's had also left arm pace bowler, and so creating some rough for them. So, with Wagner, who does thump into the crease, um, he will create that rough that, that Ashwin may find very useful.
3: That also makes the toss kind of important because if India is bowling fourth and Wagner has done all the work, then yeah, it definitely makes it good for Ashwin bowling fourth. Yeah.
0: First of all, Ashwin has um, to find a place in the eleven. I just don't know what uh, <laughs> Shastri and Kohli. You never
1: know which team to expect.
3: I would be surprised considering how well he did in Australia, but yeah, I guess we never know.
1: Yeah, you you really don't know. It's pretty much impossible to pick how Shastri and Kohli are going to pick their team. Um, <laughs> they they have, and to be fair, it's worked. I mean, you know, right. like yeah, yeah, they've, they've made some odd selections, but almost every odd selection paid off. Right. Right. So
3: getting into the concept of, you know, the World Test Championship, um, I mean, countries have played, you know, varying n- number of test matches. Most of them have been around the 11 to 13 game mark. England obviously are way over that. They're, they've played 20 plus games. Um, just wanted to get everybody's thoughts on this, you know, the structure of the tournament itself. Um, and Benny, I'll, I'll start with you this time.
0: I, mean, I would just say that, there, first of all, when this was announced, when the whole World Test Championship was announced, I was excited because, you know, as someone who's grown up watching World Cups and then there was the champion trophy and then there was uh, the World T20. Um, and as someone who loves test cricket, and I know that there's that whole league where they calculate the points and then they give that championship maze or whatever. Uh, but there's something different about a final which determines a winner. You know, that's how with most sports it is structured that way. So to see something in test cricket, which I really didn't know if it was possible uh, that some of the brightest minds in cricket were able to come up with something like this. But then I saw the format that they did come up with, and <laughs> I was not sure if these were the brightest minds. Uh, but I don't know how much of it was also just constraints of, you know, the FTP and. You know, some countries have a little bit more sway than the rest, which is just the reality um, of international cricket right now. So having said all of that, um, my thoughts on the structure is that there's a lot of scope for improvement. For one, I think each team has to play each other if you want an actual, you know, the, the, the top two teams, if you want the top two teams to make it to the final. Each team has to play every other team, and it can't just be select teams because, You know, I mentioned this previously, like India has not played Pakistan. And I'm sure, uh, and and another point that was raised is where are these teams playing? Are they playing a lot of these games at home? And I know that New Zealand have played a lot of games at home. So there is still a lot of scope for improvement, um, but I don't want to be too harsh. I think for a first attempt, this isn't too bad. Um, but yes, uh, the structuring is not great and you will have its detractors, uh, but I can only hope that things will get better.
3: Right. I I personally thought, I mean, I I would agree that, you know, the balance of number of games away and home definitely needs to be better. Um, I will say that I think COVID in general added a twist, which nobody could really plan for. So there's that aspect of it. And then Um, But overall, I I personally, you know, when I first heard of it, I thought it was a great idea because now there's, you know, the Barmy army and those passionate fans who are suddenly looking at the scorecard of a Sri Lanka, South Africa game because they have to care. So, I mean, in that sense, I I thought it was a good idea. But um, Himanisha, I'll go to you next for your thoughts.
2: I think it's exciting because Test Cricket is kind of an anachronism and they were trying to build some context into it. But they definitely have to structure it better. I think they should make two groups and they should make all the six teams play each other in that group. And they should do something like counting only two games per series towards the point. Because there's dividing points across series things is kind of like iffy. So I think they have a lot of room to improve. But for the ICC who are usually like backward thinking and archaic and, you know, for them, it's a good first step. I think it's, it's novel, it's very exciting and I hope it'll go um,
1: forward in time. Michael, would you agree? Yeah, look, I, I don't have a problem with the dividing games across the, the points across the series. I think that was probably the best solution given that England and Australia were unlikely to agree to playing a two-match series against each other. You know, Given that the Ashes was never going to be reduced from a five-match series and there's no way that you could afford to have New Zealand-Bangladesh being a five-tier series, um, it would bankrupt both boards. Um, because of that, you had to say, uh, well, in that case, there needs to be the same amount of points per series. Six, if there's going to be six series, that's fine. Same amount of points per series it makes sense. The problem was that it's been reported in terms of games rather than in terms of series. You know, if all the tables you see have how many games won, not how many series won. And and if if they change that around, it would change it. But one of the, the issue, one of the things with that, people, there's also been a lot of complaints about. Oh, you get more points for winning a a game in a small series, but you also lose more points for losing a game in a small series. Um, Australia lost 27 points on average for every match they lost. New Zealand lost 45 points for every match they lost. Um, You know, when you look at it like that, the the short series were actually a big disadvantage, especially when you had one partnership New Zealand 60 effectively in the the Sri Lanka game.
4: Um, I kind of like agree with the general theme here, right? Like cricket has been meandering contextless in an island, right? Like these pretty much on a whim two countries or you know kind of said hey let's play a couple of test matches right like it doesn't have any tie-up or linkages to a larger culmination right so in from that perspective i think this is a much needed um, you know context like you know, every other tournament like for example in soccer you have like in between the club tournaments you have teams coming in playing friendly sure okay that's fine but ultimately they do play in a qualifier that leads up to the world cup right So this is a much needed revision to the current cricketing structure. However, like with anything else, this is a first pass at such a large scale. So, you know, there will be like a lot of incongruities and that's what we're seeing today. Let's give this a few cycles, you know, before being a little critical of it and have a sample size enough to understand, okay, this is what's working, this is what's not working, and then maybe, you know, we should come collectively together to uh, approach this and revise it to improve it. Overall, I think this is a step in the right direction. Is there room to be improved? 100%, 100%. If one,
1: one, oh, sorry, just one thing I'd love to say, just on that, if they were going to change it, and this would be quite a radical change, a lot of the reason we play series is because it used to take a long time to get from one country to another. He has to take the boat for three months to get from Australia to England. And so you're not going to go and play one game. We have airplanes now. (laughs) This this is not, it's it's no longer takes three weeks to travel from one country to another. We no longer need to have really long uh, tours. I wonder if you would have, instead of having this tournament taken over two and a half years and then no final, if you were to say there is a one-year tournament, it's happening in 2023. The 12 teams, everyone plays everyone else once. You play six at home and six away. And you work it around and at the end of that there's a winner oh, the, the the team that's in the top of the league wins you get three points for a win one point for a draw the end of it that's and, and so you're playing six one-off tests at home and six one-off tests away um, and I reckon that would be that would possibly be more interesting than what we've got right. currently here you know, um, yeah you've got these six tours you don't know who you play you know New Zealand didn't get to play rubbish. We've got to probably wait until they're like good again before we get play them and get thrashed like we normally do. Um, we also didn't get to play Bangladesh. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where um, the you know who we end up playing was made such a big difference to the outcome potentially. Um, and whereas if it was you play everyone, it would feel like a more real result. I would totally and, watch that. Um,
3: uh, the, the the challenge there would be considering how good teams these days are at home. I think the challenge would be coming in for, you know, one away game. It's, it's just going to be really, really tough. You know, it's, it's really going to be, um, you know, the top two or three teams who will have a good chance of beating them. But yeah, I mean, that definitely sounds like a sort of a Super World Cup, so to say, you know, it'll be because it's five days, it'll, be, it'll have to be spread across quite a few months. But yeah, definitely sounds like an interesting idea.
0: And for that reason, I don't mind a longer cycle. I mean, most World Cups, uh, if not all, are just dis- heard, what, every four years? We could have a World Test Championship every four years, essentially, well, at least a winner being determined every four years. And in that four year cycle, you know, teams can play one home and away series against each other. Uh, and I think you could accommodate the FTP a lot be- a-, a lot better if it's spread out over a longer time.
2: It gets a little harder to build context um on that time scale. So I think that's the only issue. You can't have a tournament spread across four years. Like people lose interest in the points table. That context kind of peters out at that
3: time. Plus teams change a lot if you think about, you know, we talked about 2018 in India Tour of England. And that team was, you know, all the ma- major majority of the face still there, but our openers are different and and you right. know there's a bunch of other uh, players who've you know sort of started making a mark in test cricket uh, for india so I, I think yeah that's also true like i think teams would also be very transient over the four four years
1: well if you look over the last four years south africa would still be pretty close to being a top team and and if they were in the final it would be a pretty one You'd ex- you, there wouldn't be a lot of expectation for what was happening in the final we were expecting that, that the state they're in at the moment they would probably not go so well um so you Four years is a long time in, in team sports. What we've got here is better than not having anything, and right. and, and it, it, it's a really difficult thing to organise. So particularly with the India Pakistan situation, um, that makes it even harder to uh, to be able to have a competition that feels fair when is one or one team that's refusing to play another one. Yeah, you know, there, there's there's issues with that. So, um, so you have to try and work around that. Yeah, a conference system could could be good. I, I had proposed a tier system where you had four teams in each tier and you play teams in your tier and the one's either side. Um, you know, and, and I think that could be a good system as well. We have every three years, you have promotion, relegation. There's all sorts of things you could do. But what we've got here seems to be a reasonable option. And that's all, it doesn't need to be perfect. You know, It just needs to be good enough that, that it feels accept, like it's got an acceptable result. And I think this one will feel like that.
0: Also, Ravi Shastri recently said that the final would be better if it was structured in a best of three uh, format. Essentially, that would make it a three test series for the championship. Uh, what What is your take on that?
1: Yeah, look, of course it would be. <laughs> of course it would be. But, um, but if, uh, are you gonna get fans to watch a dead rubber final if one team's won the first two games and it's neutral fans? Yeah, you know, like if right. let's imagine that India was hosting and it was New Zealand, Australia in the final, and Australia won the first two tests, would there be many people turning up to the third match? yeah, well, oh, like cancel that game. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, it's, going it's going to be like the like
0: India playoffs. Just cancel the yeah, third
1: yeah, game. Well, <laughs> but uh, like in American sport, canceling a one off match is, you know, you're, it's a one off match. Um, but a test match, has you, you've had to put a lot of preparation into it. You've had you know, it's it's not like a, a game of basketball where you just have to get the broom out and sweep. Um, there's there's a lot more goes into getting ready for a, a, a cricket match. The expense is already there, and the the tickets would you know potentially maybe you don't already sell them these broadcast rights. Broadcasters have to fill in five days rather than filling in you know two hours like you would with with other sports that have. I mean, American football. They decided it was too hard to have. Of that because of that, that, how long the games were. That's American football where the games last for three hours, um, you know, having, having, uh, having series for the playoffs. So I think um, I think there's a there's certainly some difficulties with just calling off a test match because someone's winning.
0: Well, we're going to leave and, it to you think... to explain that to Ravi Shastri.
1: <laughs> I, I'm not sure that he'd listen to me. Um, but He, he listens no, to nobody. Right. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely right that it would be better. That doesn't mean that it's
3: breakable. <laughs> I I think it's also about you know th- there's this whole conversation not just about tests but knockouts in general. Mm-hmm. You know there's there's a conversation that I've seen on Indian cricket Twitter where they say you know 2015 World Cup India was probably the most consistent side until the semi-final loss. And mm-hmm. you know there's there's always these conversations that happen saying. Yeah, that team won the World Cup and I think that was definitely set for England in 2019 where, you know, at one stage they were struggling to even qualify. But were they really the best team in the world? So there's that whole sort of question around how do you want to define the best team in the world? And I think that's a bigger question that's worth answering because if if you're trying to say let's have this tournament and the winner be the best team, then we already have the right format. But if the... If the uh, question is, let's actually find out which is the most consistent team across time. Then, yes, uh, having, you know, more days. And that would go for even the one day World Cup where we, we would have, you know, sort of an IPL style qualifier. And, and um, oh, I forget what the other game is. But, um, you know, that sort of setup might be more, um, more what the ICC should look at.
1: I think if you want to find the best team, you have uh, five round round robin or six round round robin where everyone plays each other five or six times and the tournament lasts for about a year. I mean, is that really what we want? Um, there's some there's some significant downsides to going down that track. Um, you can't statistically find the best team from a one-off match. You can only find the, the team that was best at that game. And even then, you can't always find the Sometimes the team that plays the best doesn't win because there's weird things that happen. Um, so you, you just have to say, well, it, it comes down to luck and yeah that's that's part of sport there's always an element of chance and an element of skill and it's a combination of both
2: I think a lot of these conversations also arise because people don't understand the difference between a world cup and a league a world cup is not necessarily meant to find the best team it's meant to create artificial context and knockout so that you can have some sort of excitement right if you want to find the best team like you said you've got to have a league which is not what a world cup is and people somehow fail to grasp that I think that's why you have these conversations around you. Is this really the best team?
4: Yeah, that's that's a very good point, right? I'm going to go back to the soccer or football parallel here, right? In in across Europe or across any other uh, country, right? The leagues over time, kind of like, you know, the laws of averages kind of, you know, negate each other. Uh, you know, a, a bad call here negates a good call there, you know, like. It kind of like evens out over time, right? But whereas in a tournament for knockout game, knockout tournament like the Champions League, for example, I'm not saying Chelsea won this year by luck. They put their blood, sweat and tears in one. But in 2012, when you, <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> <laughs> in 2012, when you look at Chelsea's overall performance in the league and the Champions League, you know, when they eventually won the Champions League, you know backs against the wall against Bayern and in the league they finished like sixth or seventh right so they weren't really the best team in the in the country or even Europe but in that tournament they were the best team so ultimately like I think what Mank and uh, Jimenez said right we need to like clear our definitions of what we want to call the champion side of that time right and then go work backward from there
0: I'm sorry all I could think while you were saying that is you're just saying it because Chelsea won so I don't know how much of that to take seriously
4: a little bit of bias, my but <laughs> all right.
0: Well, um, uh, before we wrap it up, there is still one important question that I want to ask Michael because you're the only New Zealand cricket fan that we have here at this moment. Um, what's the deal with Colin de Home's hair? Are we going to call it a mullet? What is it?
1: It's horrendous, it is absolutely <laughs> horrendous. But, um, but, uh, look, I guess if you're in a job where it doesn't matter what you look like. Then, True. if you want to have a terrible haircut, you can get away with it. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, look, uh, what what is the story with it? I think he, uh, yeah, you could blame the the lack of barbers over lockdown, but it's been a long time since New Zealand came out of lockdown, and he's still got a bad. Yeah,
0: down. that's not um, a good excuse anymore. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, I I don't know. I think he actually likes it, and and I think that just suggests that cricket is probably his forte, not design.
0: Nobody's gonna go and tell him it's terrible to his face. So <laughs> nobody has told him it looks terrible.
1: Uh, well, no, I, I I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe he genuinely thinks it looks good, or maybe he's going for the so bad it's good uh, <laughs> kind of kind of look. And in which case, yes. he's almost succeeding.
0: Right. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up here, and um, you know, all said and done. Fans are always craving for high quality cricket with a good measure of context thrown in. And a final to determine world test champions that features contests like Coley versus Bold and Williamson versus Boomra is always something worth looking forward to. So we'll soon see how it all shakes out. Uh, Michael Wagner, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure and uh, may the best team win.
1: Or well, at least the one that plays the best. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. A special thanks to Michael Wagner for his time and perspectives. For more of his insights, you can find him on Twitter at Michael. That is M-Y-K-U-H-L. Meanwhile, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds. And do leave us a voice message if you would like to be featured on the show. Thank you for listening to us, and from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.